You're listening to Story Power, the podcast dedicated to disruptive storytelling. These are the stories of everyday people changing the world. I'm your host, Jen Kinney. Welcome. So today on Story Power Podcast, I am joined by Kelly Matlock. Kelly is a wife, a mom of four, and the lead pastor of Icon Church in Kyle, Texas. She has a heart that longs for people to find freedom from the confines of toxic religion and harmful theology. She is passionate about creating a fully inclusive faith community that pursues justice and invites people to be fully who they are and to wrestle honestly with their faith. Welcome to the show, Kelly. Thank you. It's so it's exciting to be here. I'm really glad yeah. to get to chat with you. Yeah, it's nice to finally actually get to talk, right? Yeah, I know. I mean, I've been, you know, I've heard you on Corey's podcast and I've been following you on social media for a while. And so it's nice to get to kind of have a, you know, somewhat face-to-face. I mean, it's virtual, right? but face-to-face. Right. <laughs> so, hey, yeah. it's it's as good as meeting in person during COVID, right? It's true. It's true. I was telling Kelly before we started recording that I don't necessarily always read people's bios. I like them to introduce themselves, but I feel like Kelly's bio is going to be the springboard for a lot of our conversation. So, I did that, but I still want to ask you to introduce yourself to us and tell us about who you are because bios are hard. You know, you're required to put like basically the heart and soul of who you are in four or five sentences, right? Yeah. And that's just not reasonable in my mind. So tell me about you. Well, um, like you said, my name is Kelly and um, I am a pastor and I am a wife and a mom and um, you know, I think I have been in full-time ministry for, my husband Dan and I have been married for almost 19 years, and we've been in full-time ministry for that entire time. Um, so we moved to Texas about, let's see, it was in 2012, so about nine years ago to start this church, and that's what we have been doing uh, for the past nine years. And um, recently had a lot of shifts and changes going on, and I ended up taking over as the sole lead pastor, which was something I never thought that I would do. I have just found over the years that as I have been on this journey of a lot of evolving and shifting and deconstructing, for lack of a better word, um, in my faith, I have just found more and more that I have such a strong desire to see people be able to leave a lot of the harmful and toxic uh, religions and church spaces that are unfortunately running rampant um, around us and be able to find true freedom and being fully who they are. And, And for those that desire to be a part of a faith community, I want them to be able to have a space where they are safe, um, where they are fully included, no matter who they are um, and where we can genuinely be honest about the questions we have and the things that we're, that we're thinking and the doubts that we have and the fears and, um, and where it can actually be a community that celebrates people for who they are and allows people to be fully human, you know, isn't placing these expectations and these, you know, just harmful theologies on people that make it really difficult um, for them to be able to actually pursue a life of faith. You know, that has, I think the church has caused a lot of harm in a lot of ways. And I want to be able to help create a space that doesn't cause harm <laughs> that allows people to experience faith and love um, in an environment where they actually feel safe. So I'm really curious, were you raised in the church? What was your early journey like? Yeah. I mean, I've been a part of the church for as long as I can remember. Um, and the majority of my church experience has been 
um, in the white evangelical church, specifically um, early on in my life, it was in very um, charismatic spaces. Um, And for those who aren't familiar with that, it was a lot of the you know, kind of spirit filled, um, a lot of like prosperity gospel kind of movement. And then while we have been in, my husband and I have been together, we've mainly been in assemblies of God spaces, um, which is still a very, you know, it's evangelical, pretty charismatic, you know, spaces. And so, yeah. So the AG. The AG. Yes. Yep. That was the denomination that our church was a part of up until recently. So, and that's like all I, all I knew my whole life was kind of that world, that white evangelical, you know, church space. That was what I've been born and raised and brought up in for as long as I can remember. So one of the reasons that I was really drawn to connecting with you and talking to you was because you are a woman and you are a pastor. And so I'm always curious because for me, I became a Christian when I was like 25 and truly in the white evangelical tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know what it was called or, you know, I, I didn't understand that at the time. Um, but definitely in more like the more I dig into theology and the more that I learn about different theologies, uh, like for me, I definitely stepped into more of a compl, you know, they like to call it complementarianism, mm. like to shroud the patriarchy in this nice sounding word, right? <laughs> but I really, I mean, it was so interesting because like I became a Christian and I knew before that, that like I didn't believe that women should be pastors. I didn't believe that women should be in ministry. And yet I came from this really like secular feminist sort of space. So it's so interesting now, years later, to kind of look back on that and be like, people have thought I was a feminist, right? I claimed to be a feminist. And I've been accused of being a feminist my entire time that I've been a Christian. But now that I've actually rejected and stepped away from that toxic patriarchal theology of complementarianism. I was just talking to a friend like two nights ago and I'm like, people thought I was a feminist 10 years ago. Like, (laughs) watch out, you know, like what a joke, right? And so I was really curious too, like what faith tradition were you in and, and how was it being a pastor, being a woman in the AG, for example, or in these more charismatic spaces, did you always want to be a pastor? Hmm. Uh, no. Um, I, you know, I honestly, until we decided to start the church, and even when we decided to start to start the church, um, I mean, at the time, I was in the throes of motherhood with young ones, and so I. It was like we were we were doing it together, but really my husband was kind of at the helm just because I was very consumed with raising babies and you know that was kind of my world. Um, you know, I will say in the AG, they definitely it is not a complementarian theology. They definitely have an e- more egalitarian theology. There are a lot of women who are pastors and leading and um and even in the churches I grew up in. Um, it's like there wasn't, it was never said that like a woman couldn't pastor, but there was still always this underlying sense of the husband is the head of the home and the male is the one who is, they are the one, they have the headship and we kind of fall underneath that. And so even though I was a part of a denomination that openly ordained women, I still had a lot of internalized misogyny and kind of this almost this like complementarian theology internally that fleshed itself out in a lot of ways. I mean, there was a, I can remember, you know, that was kind of when we got married, it was like in my head, I thought, well, wherever Dan is called to go, that's where I'm called to go. Like it wasn't like it was, I wasn't the one that was going to receive the word from the Lord on what we were supposed to do. It was like Dan would receive that and then I would follow. And which is so funny because now it's like, I hear stuff like that and it just makes me have almost this visceral reaction because 
I'm like, no, you know, like <laughs> it's that's not how it is and nor how it should be. But so, yeah, I think that was definitely underlying for me. Um, and I think that having that kind of um, viewpoint and being under that kind of theology and teaching for a long time, I think caused me to really shrink back for a lot of years um, because I just didn't really feel like I had the capability to lead and to pastor. And I always sort of fell right under my husband and he, and he wasn't, it wasn't because he was putting that on me. It was just, I was, had been under that for so long. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't, I didn't always want to be a pastor. I think it was something I sort of grew into. And as I started to, um, just really kind of come into my own and uh, kind of come into my own power in some ways. I think it was something that I gradually grew to love to do and grew to want to do. It wasn't something I always thought I was going to do. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, for me, you know, when I think back to entering the the Christian world, not having grown up in it and the messaging that I had just absorbed right and now looking back i understand that the the real problem is that the institutional church reflects the culture more mm -hmm. than anything definitely more than jesus definitely more yep. than the gospels and i'm comfortable painting with that broad brush also acknowledging that there are communities that are not that way mm -hmm. but there is this you know, overarching theme and culture that's represented in, in the institutional church. And I remember being like really scared and, and I'm trying, and I'm still kind of trying to process this because there's this added weight and responsibility that for me as a woman, like my husband was the same way as your husband. He was actually far more progressive in his, even though he came from like, um, kind of like a Baptist upbringing. He's a pastor's kid. When we got together, I thought it was pretty radical that he believed that women could be in leadership positions in the church. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't quite there. And, and I think like there was this fear inside of me as a woman, like if I step out in this, then I'm taking on the responsibility if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm taking on the wrath of others who are deeply invested in the idea that God does not equally impart their gifts onto all people. But I find, you know, like just trying to psychoanalyze myself a little bit and look back and like, why, why was I the one that had such a difficult time with this? Um, but when we decided like the institutional church is not where we want to invest our time and our energy, it's not our faith community um, for a variety of reasons, you know, we left it. And I decided to go back to a church building and it was actually an AG church. And mm -hmm. it was really interesting because we walk in and we went for some event and it was a husband and wife team. She is the theologian and preacher and teacher and definitely has a pastor's heart. And it was really fascinating because I, I was confronted for the first time in person with the fact that like, there's a woman preaching and I'm totally okay with it. Mm -hmm. And why did I feel this way? You know, but I really kind of had to wrestle through um, some things on that. And then they asked me to speak a while ago, but I remember when they asked me and I was like, no, 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 no. I can't take this on. I like, it was terrifying to me. I felt like I was going to, like, my instinct was just like fear, and I'm going to lead people astray, and it's this huge responsibility, you know, and all of this yeah. stuff. And now looking back on that, it's like, oh, my gosh, like, it was so oppressive and fearful. and mm -hmm. But it was really in an AG environment that it was expressed that women in leadership positions fully and completely pastors and teachers that helped kind of take care of that final bit that I needed, that push that I needed into really fully accepting and understanding how the limitations in my mind were coming from culture and not Jesus. Yeah. So that's just a little side story of my yeah. own kind of journey in that. Um, 
Yeah. So, and, and it's so cool, you know, just to meet women who are pastors mm -hmm. in what is often considered still sort of evangelical spaces. Mm -hmm. But you guys recently went through some big changes in your church. We did. You want to tell me about that? Sure. How much time you got? I got uh, time. <laughs> yeah. What do you have? That's the question. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like I said, we started the church affiliated with the AG. Um, that was kind of, I mean, my husband was born and raised in AG churches. So that was kind of the waters we swam in. It was all we knew. A few years into pastoring, um, Dan and I both, he kind of first started going through, he kind of had a major crisis of faith, what we would, what we would know as deconstruction, you know, where he just really started, it was kind of like for a long time, he describes it as it was like there was this big dam and there were holes that kept coming in it and he would start, he would plug up the holes, but eventually it just got to be where the questions were just too much and he could no longer do that. And, um, so he kind of started on his own journey, and then I separately kind of started having a lot of really big questions about a lot of different things. And honestly, for me, I think one of my biggest um, things was when it comes to the church's treatment of the LGBTQ community and, you know, LGBTQ inclusion in the church. and. Yeah. That was kind of the one of the things for me that kicked off the whole thing um, was there were some different, very prominent faith leaders who were coming forward talking about how they were fully affirming. And it wasn't like it shocked me. It just got me really curious. And I thought, well, hold on a minute now. You know, there's these people that I've been following for a really long time. I I trust them. I trust their leadership. I it's very apparent that they have good fruit in their life and that they love God and that they love the church. And I'm, I'm like, so yet, how is it that they are seeing this so differently? And, you know, so I kind of started on this journey of really exploring that. And my husband and I both did. And, and it was a long journey of deconstruction where I'm talking, you know, the whole gamut, you know, the Bible, heaven and hell, you know, like all of those things, like kind of re-examining and really questioning why I believed what I believed and coming to the realization that the majority of what I believed was because that was handed to me. And I was told by pastors and faith leaders in my life that this is how you interpret the scripture. This is the only way you can interpret the scripture and do it faithfully. This is what these different things mean. And there was no room for questioning or for a difference of opinion or seeing things differently. Um, and so throughout that process, we both came to separate conclusions that we believed that LGBTQ relationships um, could absolutely be blessed by God. And we did no longer saw that as a sinful thing. And so through that process, we knew, okay, we personally came to those conclusions, but at the same time, we were pastoring a church who is a part of a denomination that has a very clear stance on this, that that was not going to, we were not going to be in agreement with the Assemblies of God on this. And we also realized that our church, um, would probably, we, we just didn't know where people in our church would land. And we had always been, you know, the typical, <laughs> everybody is welcome, you know, but yet weren't clear on anything. And through listening to the voices of LGBTQ Christians, began to understand that not being clear on where you stood as a church was not kind and it was not loving. And uh, that really became obvious when we had uh, a lesbian couple that had been a part of our church for a long time approached my husband and I, I think this was probably in like late 2017, early 2018, and approached us and asked my husband to do their wedding. And they there was not even, they weren't even, they weren't hesitant. They It wasn't like hey, we're not sure what you think about this. It was like they just in full confidence were like, we're getting married. You're our pastor. 
we would love for you to do our wedding. And in that moment, we realized they have no idea that our church bylaws actually stated that marriage was between one man and one woman. Like they had no clue of any of that. Um, And we just realized that's incredibly unfair. And if my husband, because personally, convictionally, he would have said, yes, I will do your wedding. But he knew that that would probably be very shocking to some people that were a part of our church. And if he were to say no, he knew that that would be devastating to this couple and to the other LGBTQ persons that attended our church. And so at that point, we realized we need to um, we need to be clear. And so we went to our elder board and said, um, theologically, here is where we land. Here's where we have shifted in what we believe. Uh, we submitted ourselves to them and said, if you think that we need to resign uh, because of this, we will do so. Um, however, we said, would you be willing to go on a journey of discernment? Would you be willing to go through a process of studying the scriptures and reading books and listening to LGBTQ Christians and just really diving into this subject um, and to go on a journey and kind of at the on the other side of that come to a point of, of making a decision either way of where the church was going to stand on this because we knew that was what the kind and loving thing to do would be. And so they agreed to that. And um, honestly, wow. it was about a year long process of conversations and meetings and prayers and reading. I mean, just so many books and listening to podcasts and all of that. And honestly, we were, we did not think the vote would end up going in our favor as far as where we wanted it to go. We thought that there was a good chance it could end up where they would vote and say, no, we don't want to be, you know, an affirming and inclusive church. And, um, but we were shocked when the elder board voted and in fact voted for the church to be a fully affirming and inclusive church uh, for the LGBTQ community. And so that, I mean, which was kind of the beginning of a very interesting season um, because, you know, that's something that, we knew that the AG was going to have issue with that. We knew that we were going to be asked to leave the AG. We knew that Dan was going to be stripped of his credentials. Like we we were fully prepared for all of those things. Um, but we weren't fully prepared for how, how it blew up. I mean, it ended up really blowing up in, in some really major ways. So yeah, and that was in, we made that announcement in um, February of 2020. So it's been about a year now that the church made that decision. Do you want to talk about um, how it blew up more? Sure. Okay. Sure. Yeah, I'd love to hear more of that part of the story. Yeah. Um, So, you know, we, how we had it planned out is we um, had been, promoting this sermon series we were going to do called Clarity, uh, you know, a conversation about God and the LGBTQ community. And so we had a three-week series planned where the first week Dan was going to, you know, kind of make this announcement to the church and say, this is what the elder board has decided. You know, he gave a very biblical explanation and talked through verses and talked through interpretation and all of those things. And, and so after that first week, I mean, and we're, you know, we're in Kyle, Texas, which is this small town, you know, South of Austin. Uh, We had probably about four, we were probably running about 400, 450 people in our church. So it's not like we were thousands of people or this church that was like on the map or on a lot of people's radar. I mean, so After that first week when he made the announcement, there were some, and you know, we always put our services on YouTube just for people to be able to watch after the fact if they weren't there or whatever. And there were some AG people throughout the state and throughout the country that somehow got word that this was happening. And within a few days after that announcement, it had exploded. I mean, usually we get about 
you know, we would usually get about like 40 or 50 views on YouTube. And within a few days, we had 19,000 views on YouTube of this, of this sermon. And we were getting calls and emails and um, the human rights campaign was con from DC was contacting us. And like, it just sort of spiraled into this. We just didn't expect that. We kind of thought, you know, we'll, we'll do this series. And then Dan was going to write a letter to the Assemblies of God and say, here's what we've decided. We realize that, you know, this is not in alignment with your beliefs. And so we will, you know, we will leave the AG and, you, you know, he would lose his credentials, all those things, but it ended up just kind of turning into a shit storm. And, yeah. and we were, um, I think the, you know, people kind of went on the defensive and uh, we had people in our church who, you know, just got really angry, even though we did our best to try to, you know, present it all in a very, in the best way that we could, but it would just, it ended up, um, you know, the phone calls and the emails and the messages that we got from people that were just livid and angry and screaming at us and calling us all kinds of terrible, horrible things. And so it, it kind of started off this really hard season, I think, for us, um, for Dan and I personally, and then for us as a church, um, trying to navigate all of those waters during that time. That's hard because I, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about it and it's like, it took you guys years mm -hmm. and it took your elder board and you in combination, like over a year reading and discerning. I mean, just to be open to doing that, mm -hmm. knowing what I know about the church, mm -hmm. like that in itself is miraculous to me. Mm -hmm. Then to come to that conclusion at the end as well. I don't know how you do that with the larger congregation. Like looking yeah. back, do you think of like, like, cause there are people who are going to be listening to this, who are on the verge as well, who are yeah. in this position. Is there any advice you'd give, or is there anything that looking back you wish you had done differently or you think would have been wiser to do? Could you mm. do it again? Like how, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I've thought about that so many times. Um, and, you know, we have, and people have reached out to us. I mean, you know, since that time, different pastors and leaders who I think there are a lot of pastors and church leaders who personally hold an affirming theology, but who are terrified to actually say it out loud. <sighs> um, for, and, and, and I understand that. I get that. I, I understand being, afraid because we were there, you know, it was like, we, we held, we held to this conviction so strongly that we believed, you know, and we saw the terrible fruit that was coming from LGBTQ people being excluded from the church, you know, and, and so we held to that so strongly, but also I understand that when you're in a position of leadership and you're leading a church that you don't want to just blow up your church. You know, you, you want to try to do it in a way that invites people along on a journey. Um, Cause I feel like that's part of our work as straight cisgendered people. Part of my work as a, as a straight cisgendered woman is to have conversations with other straight, non-affirming Christians to try to just to give, invite them into a conversation right? Um, to say, maybe, maybe we're wrong on this. You know, we, we've been taught something our whole life. Maybe we're wrong. And, and, and this community of people is worth the work for us to do, you know, cause people are dying. People are homeless right. kids are being kicked out of their homes people are suicidal you know it, right it's it's an important and necessary conversation you know i do think we you know we did our best to be really open we had lots of conversations leading up to the series with like volunteers people who had been at the church for a long time people who were leaders uh, we tried our best to have separate conversations leading up saying, hey, here's where we're at. Here's where we're going. Would you consider 
And that was kind of our whole thing to the whole church was, you know, would you consider entering into a conversation about this? Would you consider going on a journey of discernment yourselves? You know, like we we weren't saying if you hold to a non-affirming theology, we weren't saying there's the door. See you later. It was like, no, like let's all have this conversation together. And so I think, you know, looking back as far as what we would do differently, I think maybe trying to invite more people into the conversation earlier on um, to prevent people from being blindsided. Um, You know, I think that was probably maybe one thing that going back, we would probably have done differently. Okay. Um, That's good insight. Yeah. Yeah. Just making sure that, and at the end of the day, I mean, I think at the same time, it's like you you understand that. And we, we had this happen. One of those conversations that we had with someone beforehand, they ended up secretly recording our conversation and sent it off to the AG. Um, And so, so like, you know, we were trying to have, you know, contain the conversation enough because there were some people that were like, well, we don't want them to go and blow everything up before we have a chance to actually have an in-depth conversation, you know, because like people will hear, oh, well, you know, they're affirming, oh, well, they're just heretics and they're throwing out the Bible. And, and it's like, no, 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 no. Like scripture led us to this decision, you know, but so, you know, it's just, it's, it's hard. It's a difficult um, thing to lead people through. But I will say this, if there are people listening who, if you're a pastor, if you're a church leader, and if you are affirming and you have not yet taken that leap to be honest about it, I would say you need to just take the leap because there are people that are being harmed. And, you know, I I understand that, yeah, we have a, you might have a lot to lose, but you don't have near, near as much to lose as the gay or the trans person that's sitting in your pews. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just think we need, we need people to be willing to risk losing it all because, the LGBTQ community has lost so much more than we ever could. And if we truly say that we want to be like, be the, like show the love of God and the love of Jesus to people, I think that that's what we need to do, you know, and not continue to alienate an entire group of people who, if you look at, at LGBTQ Christians, I mean, just the fruit of their lives is so beautiful. And like, we have, the good fruit that has come from this decision is, I mean, Jen, we for the pe- the past year, I mean, have been getting countless messages, emails, phone calls uh, from LGBTQ Christians from all over the world who are telling us their story of how they were kicked, you know, they came out and they were kicked out of their church. They were on staff at an AG church. When they came out, they were fired. Um, People who told us they sat watching the message sobbing because they had never heard a pastor say, you are absolutely 100% beloved just as you are. And um, so, yeah, we just, we need, we need more Christians who are waking up to this and who are shifting in their theology to just do the brave and the right thing and, and be honest about where you're at. And, and, you know, we just, we have to stop causing harm. Mm, That's so good. So the one thing that you talk about is Dan presenting the biblical support. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think is really, really sparse. You know, like people don't have access to this. So a lot of conversations that I've listened in on or been a part of when we talk about LGBTQ community within the church, you know, people talk about things that aren't biblically based. You Mm -hmm. know, they talk about culture shift. They'll argue about love being love. And I want to be careful how I speak about this. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, like I understand how the white evangelical trained brain 
thinks, right? Yep. It demands data. Yeah. And so, so part of me doesn't want to give data. Part of me doesn't just wants to say, you know, whatever. But I realize that you have to meet people where they're at. And I think it's important to have this conversation from a biblical context. And I want to really kind of push into that and push that dialogue more. Mm -hmm. And so one of the questions I have for you is one, is the message available on YouTube? Mm -hmm. But then like still where people can listen, but are there books and podcasts that you would really recommend that you feel like from a theological standpoint, from a biblical standpoint, really makes a case for being affirming? Yeah. So yeah. So on, on our church's website, it's iconchurch.com. There's a whole section titled Clarity. And can and you spell that? Icon Church? Yeah. E E I K O N church.com. Thanks. Yeah. There were a few different resources that were really influential for me. One of those was God and the Gay Christian by Matthew Vines, um, which he presents. He kind of breaks down a lot of the scripture passages that are used to kind of condemn people who are gay or trans. And so he kind of breaks it down and gives a very good biblical view and kind of talks about interpretation and context and, you know, what the words that we find in our English Bible now, how some of those have shifted and changed over time. Um, he just gives a really, really good in-depth look at scripture as you're, you know, wrestling through with all of it. That was a really good one. Um, there's a book called Changing Our Mind by David Gushy. Um, that one is really, really excellent as well. Um, Transforming is a book written by Austin Hartke. He is a transgender man, a theologian, uh, just really, really great book. Uh, Torn is a book written by Justin Lee. That's more of a kind of a personal story, you know, where he's kind of sharing his experience and um, so those were really, really, really influential for me. Um, another really great, uh, podcast is, I'm not sure if you're familiar with BT Harmon. Um, he used to go by Brett Trapp, but he has a podcast called Blue Babies Pink and it's just his coming out story. He was raised in a Southern Baptist church and, and then, yeah, and then on the, on our website, we have just a ton of articles and blogs and podcasts and books. And, um, and I think honestly, one of the, one of the most influential things for me in the process was just listening to the stories of LGBTQ people and believing their lived experience, yeah. you know, and, and cause it's so easy to turn something into an issue when it's, it's, they're not an issue, they're people and they have stories and that that for a long time the church has been so dismissive of you yes. know yes. and so that was was really key for me and and being up close to and being having friends who i love dearly you know yeah, yeah. um i'm part of a faith community I'll call it because it really has been a faith community for me and then we're doing this study right now and it is a book called Knowing Christ Crucified by M. Sean Copeland. Mm. Yeah, so she is a queer, black, Catholic, womanist theologian. Mm. It's a beautiful book. And there's this section on queer theology. Mm. And the community, we all got together. And it was just like, you know, three or four um zoom pages full of people and the queer community was given the stage to share and reflect and talk and it was so beautiful mm. and there was something that somebody said during that you know because one person was saying like i read this and it just it breaks my heart what the church has done to the lgbtqi community and I want to send this to my friends who are part of that community, but I, I don't know that that's the right thing. And this mm. one person just said, like, please do that because they're like for us who are part of the Christian church, who have been pushed out and told that we are 
not loved by God, that we are not beloved. Uh, there's that one person in our lives who has saved our lives. And, mm. and she was sharing that, like, for her, it was her sister. And she's like, you could be that person. And so when you talk, too, about the fact that, like, if there are pastors listening and who are on the fence with this, and, and like, people are dying, yes. right? Yes. And and that's the thing here. It's like we can sit and philosophize. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the way these conversations are often framed to center, you know, the white male, mm. the cis hetero patriarchy, you know, like it, it's all philosophy. It's all intellectual discourse, but they're human beings. Yeah. And this is what we're missing. So yep. that yep. just really was impressed upon me. Now, so where is your church at today? Like, how has it evolved? Yeah. So, um, you know, shortly, so in February of 2019 was when we, you know, made the announcement. And then um, that was a three-week series. And then we did like some learning nights to invite people in the congregation to come and ask questions and have conversation. And that went on for about four weeks. And then COVID hit right after that. So wow. it was kind of like we didn't even really have a chance to see where all the dust was going to settle before we had to start meeting strictly virtually. It's been really interesting, you know, and um, so kind of throughout as COVID was kind of hitting and we were meeting virtually also through that time, um, you know, like I said earlier, you know, doing any time you go against the grain like this, there's going to be a cost, you know, and we were fully aware there was going to be a cost. And like I said, when I talk about this, I want to be clear too that. I think a lot of times, and I know that I'm sure you see this in a lot of your anti-racism work as well, but where white folks will, you know, it's like almost like turned into this thing where it's like, oh, look how much this is costing me, you know? And and so I want to uh -huh. be clear that while I, I, yes, there has been a very high cost, but I want to be clear that when I talk about this, in no way am I comparing the price that we have paid to the price that our gay and trans brothers and sisters and siblings have paid. Um, it is far greater. And yeah. so I, I don't say this as a woe is me, look how hard we had it, you know, but I also want to be real honest about what we've experienced. And um, I think through not only our shift to become affirming and inclusive, but also because of a lot of just theological shifts in general that we have made. Um, there are just people in our life that we love who have not been very kind when it comes to that. There, you know, there's been a lot of family tension that we've had to deal with, some pretty serious family tension. Um, there was a lot of deep wounds and a lot of betrayal that we experienced from people that we love that we thought really loved us. Um, you know, friendships were lost. My husband really experienced the bulk of that personally. Um, I did have a couple friendships through the process that, that I lost, but he really experienced on a personal level, a lot of really deep betrayal and the things that were said about us and the way that things were handled from quite honestly, from the AG, um, there was a lot of really hurtful things that happened to us on that end and kind of left us reeling and left us feeling so wounded and so um, tired and drained. And, um, and so, and then with COVID also, I mean, that trying to do church virtually and that just brought all its own tension and stress and, through that process, um, and it was kind of like hit after hit after hit just kept coming from things, you know, that were happening and things were being said. And also kind of a, you know, to make this, to make it even more personal, um, a couple of months before our board 
made the vote, you know, and, and the vote was to change the church's bylaws as far as what marriage is concerned and, and to decide this is the direction the church is going. A couple months before the vote happened, um, our oldest daughter came out to us. And so that added a whole other layer to things oh, because wow. now not only were we doing this for our church, but now our child is involved. And and so there were things, and, and thank God, she was really protected from a lot of things. Um, but there were things said about us, said about her, um, that we had found out about that were just devastating. And um, yeah, you can mess with me. Don't yep. mess with my baby. No. I mean, that it was like, I mean, we almost, when she first came out to us, we almost just resigned on the spot because we were like, there is no way in hell that we're going to let her become a pawn in all of this. And we actually kept her out of it. We didn't like, I'm like, we don't need to announce to our church that our child is gay. Like that's her story to tell. That's not, mm-hmm. this is, this is separate from this. Um, but a lot of people kind of found found out, and she's very she's very open. She is out. She is not like she's an eight. I think you have said that you're an enneagram eight. She oh, is yeah. an eight, so she's like, I don't. This is who I am, and you. So can you deal have with some it. extra gray hairs. Yes, God, yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes. But um, so you know, I think it was just kind of that all happened, and then the stress of COVID. And then um, in the summer, we decided to take a sabbatical because we were just exhausted and needed to kind of decide, do we want to keep doing this, you know? Um, and so we took a sabbatical and our the built church building that we were in actually was owned by the Assemblies of God. So that also added something to the mix of when we were making these announcements to our church going we could lose our building, you know, we, it could just all be taken. And, and so there was a lending institution that we were working with through COVID. They were being really gracious and allowed us to pay just a fraction of the rent because, you know, everybody was struggling. And, um, well, while we were on our sabbatical, um, we got a call from our secretary treasurer who said, he's like, we need to talk. And he had received a letter from our lending institution that told us that we had 30 days to be out of our building. That really was difficult for my husband to, that was kind of like the final straw for him. Um, He was just, he felt, he said he felt like to continue pastoring would be at the detriment of his own soul. And he just could no longer do it. And so um, we started having conversations about, you know, what would that look like? And he kind of brought up, well, you know, you could just take over. And I think my first response was, "Um, hell no, I am not doing this without you. Um, But then the more we talked about it and the more we thought about kind of moving forward, what could be that things were going to look very different, um, you know, that it was we had the opportunity to create something entirely new and different and simple. And, um, and I think as I started dreaming and thinking about what could be, I thought, you know what, I think I want to do this. And uh, so now our church is, we are strictly virtual because we do not have a building. It's funny because I couldn't even tell you the names of every person who's a part of our church because we haven't gathered physically in almost a year. So I know who shows up in, in the chat on Sundays. That's all I know. Um, so, so yeah, it's just a very, we have simplified things. We, um, you know, are a community that we are just, we deeply care for one another and we want to do good in our community. And, you know, even though things look really different and I think it's it's been a really positive thing, a really good thing. Um, it's given us a chance to kind of let go of all of the fluff and the show and the kind of the stuff I was done with anyway when it comes to church. You know, I was like, this is I don't I don't want any of that anymore. You know, right. and this has allowed us to create a faith community that is truly based on our love for one another and our love for the community and for God and. Um, it's, it's becoming something really beautiful. So we're kind of, 
we don't know what the future is going to hold for us. We don't know if we will have a building. We don't know what that's going to look like, you know. Um, so yeah, we're just kind of taking it one day at a time. That's cool. Have the people who were part of your elder board stayed with you? They have. Well, there there were a couple that ended up stepping off um, when we made the shift, when Dan resigned and I took over. Um, there were a couple people and it it wasn't anything against, it wasn't that they were like, oh, we don't want to, they, they, I think just needed a break too and kind of needed to take a step back from church for a while and kind of decide what it is they really wanted. Um, it's a lot to go through. It's a, a lot. It's a lot. And everybody felt it. You know, it's like, it, I think as the pastors, I think, you know, you kind of bear the br- the bulk of it because even no matter how many times we said this was an elder board decision, this wasn't like, and we aren't even voting, like we don't get to vote with when the elder board votes, like we are non-voting members of the board. So, but no matter how many times you say that, all of everything still falls on the pastor. That's just kind of, because that's what people do, you know, but every person, I mean, our elder board, the people that stuck with it, I mean, they have really been through it and they have, they have suffered and they have lost friendships and they have, you know, it's been hard for everyone. So but the majority of the elder board is still apart. And what's interesting is, is we do have a couple of elders who would say that personally, they hold to a more traditional view of things, but yet feel like it's right and holy and good for the LGBT community to be fully included in every, in every single way. So they believe that that's the best way forward for the church. So that has been really interesting as well. That is you know, interesting. Yeah. And kind of saying we recognize that this is kind of what we think, but that we could be wrong and that who are we as human beings to decide we don't get to gatekeep Christ's table, you know? And in fact, it's like LGBTQ people have been at the table all along. We just... Now we get to join them there and we, we don't get to decide who's in and who's out. I mean, that's just, that was never, I don't know when that, yes, it's awful, right? Cause we, we, Mm. and white evangelical Christians are like experts at gatekeeping and deciding who gets a seat and it it's is like all about the gatekeeping. It is, isn't it? It really is. Like when I think back, um, Caitlin Curtis just Mm. posted something about, you know, she was kind of reflecting on her own journey, her own faith journey, and sort of thinking for herself that she would be proud of who she's become, even though it's this very different thing. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't say that. Like, I had to look back on my early evangelical days and be like, I would have damned me to hell (laughs) and judged me as a heretic. Yep. Right? Because I was so good at gatekeeping. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Woo. Yep. Yep. We, it's like we have been trained in it our whole life and we're really good at that, you know? Yeah. yeah. Wow. What a beautiful, beautiful, difficult story. Yeah. This is. Well, and it's just been like, I think, you know, you we talking earlier about kind of the biblical case for affirmation and inclusion, you know? And I think Mm -hmm. for me, the biggest thing for me was when I was kind of looking at the whole entire picture and, and just listening to all of these stories of what LGBTQ Christians had been through and the, the statistics that we see of suicide and homelessness and depression and all of those things. And, um, it just brings me back to when Jesus was talking about, um, the kind of fruit that how we will, we will know whether or not a tree is good or bad by the fruit that it bears. And that was kind of Jesus is saying, this is how you judge things. You know, you look at the fruit. And when I looked at the fruit of the exclusion of an entire community of people, all, all of it was just rotten, stinking, no good fruit. 
Yeah. But I've just been thinking about fruit over the last week and realizing that the fruit that many in the white evangelical church base their, like, yep, we're doing well off of is actually nationalism. Yep. It's white culture. It's supremacist ideology and it's cultural norms. And those cultural norms have nothing to do with the gospel. They have nothing to do with Jesus. So I want to get out there and like shout it from the rooftops to people. Mm -hmm. Like what you have here is not good news. What you have here is not the gospel of Jesus. What you have here is the gospel of white Christian nationalism. Yes. And let that rot and go away. Yes. Yep. It, yes. Sorry. And it, yeah. I mean, and the thing is, it's like, it might be good news if you're a white cisgendered person, you yeah. know, like, it, yeah, it's, it's good, might be good news for some, but it sure as hell isn't good news for all. No. And, and if it's not good news, you know, for the gay person who's closeted in your church, if it's not good news for the black person in your church, if it's not good news for the indigenous person, then it's not good news. Like that's not how the gospel works, you know, where the gospel is like, oh, well, if you fit into this mold and into this box, then this is good news for you, you know, but that's not how it is. It's supposed to be, the gospel is supposed to bring liberation for all. And, and we gatekeep the hell out of it, you know? And, and we're like, well, we're, we get to decide you know, that this is, this is the box you have to fit in and just so much harm is being caused. And it's enough to, I mean, I'm, there was a period of time where it was like, I, like I, I sent a text to my friend the other day and I was like, I, sometimes I just there and go, I, I kind of shocked that I'm actually still doing this because I was so done and frustrated, you know, with, the white evangelical church as a whole. But I think that I think I'm getting by following the lead of marginalized people by digging into liberation theology, by digging into queer theology, I'm going, Oh, that's good news. That's the gospel. Like I've been following something else for all these years, you know, and, and that has made me see that no, like the church as Jesus intended is actually thriving and doing a lot of good work. It's just in different spaces than what I've been a part of and what I've been used to. And so now it's like, now I need to go to where I need to follow where the spirit is leading and moving. And that's, it's leading me away from the white white evangelical Christianity and towards the Christianity and the gospel that marginalized people have been preaching for centuries Oh, you know, yeah. oh yeah, that's, that's where the, the good thing. news is. Yeah. Exactly. It's like when you start as a person who's white, when you start waking up to certain things and connecting and learning mm. and listening, you realize this has existed for a long time and yep. it has been available for a long time, and yep. and we have not been connected to that. Yeah, yeah. And it's been a joy for me to really uh, press into that and connect and find community in liberated spaces. Yes. Yeah. It has just been like, wow, God has just gotten bigger. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. More inclusive, more expansive, more loving. I mean, it's like I could never, I could never go back to, to how I used to think and believe and exist and that, that's not to say that I think I have it all right now. You know, I, I don't that I don't want to it's like I don't want to become a fundamentalist, but just with a progressive lens. Amen. You know what I mean? Where right? it's like right. where now, now I'm enlightened and now I have it all figured out and I'm right on everything. Like that I don't mean it in that way, but I just I've experienced just this freedom. And when Jesus talked about how he came to give us life and life to the full, this abundant life that Jesus talked about, I'm just discovering, I'm like, oh, this, this is what that, this is what that abundant life is, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, just before it was just such a mindset of scarcity and exclusion and, you know, just, it was so exclusive and and we're in and us versus them. And, and that's just not, 
it's producing terrible fruit and I want to go where the good fruit is. I want to go where the life is and where the freedom is and the love. And, um, Mm. and that's what I'm finding on, you know, on the other side of it. That's awesome. This has been such a great conversation. I really I've loved it. it. It's been so good. I just, I so appreciate your perspective. So where can people find you and follow your work, support your work? Is that even a thing? (laughs) Um, You know, you can, I'm on social media. So, you know. Aren't uh, we all? Aren't we all? (laughs) So on Twitter, it's, you know, Kelly K. Matlock. And then on Instagram, Kelly Matlock. I'm on Facebook, not as much as I am the other two, but um, you can find me there. You can also go to iconchurch.com, the church's website, uh, just for any information about what the church is doing. I will say we are in the process of revamping the whole thing. So some of it might be a little out to date at the moment, but um, if people are interested and, and yeah, the, if they're interested in the clarity series that we did um that you can find that on youtube Uh, icon church has a youtube channel and all those messages are on there if people are interested in checking that out yeah well thank you for sharing this part of your story with us today. yeah thanks for having me it was really great Mm -hmm. 